Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So welcome to our 11 o'clock service, and uh, our, our message today is interesting. It's called, This is a Test. This is a test. We're in Matthew chapter 4. Now, we're picking back up in Matthew where we left off. If you remember, uh, we go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We took a little bit of a pause for a few weeks because of Advent. But we're back in the book of Matthew. And the beginning of Matthew talks about the birth of Jesus. Not only his birth, but his announcement of his birth to, to, uh, to, to Mary, to the Virgin Mary. And the plight of that, that, that husband and wife. Uh, going to, to Bethlehem where Mary gave birth to, to Jesus. And then we saw that Jesus now as a, as a young man, a man about 30 years old, uh, travels from Nazareth back to Judea to be baptized by John the Baptist. That's where we left off. And you remember John the Baptist was reluctant. John the Baptist said, no, you should be baptizing me. John the Baptist knew who this, this Jesus was. But reluctantly, he gives in, and a voice from the heavens breaks through, and it says, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that's where we left off a few weeks ago. So we pick it up in chapter 4. Again, my message, title of my message is, this is a test. So when, when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, sent him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So I want to start my discussion today on, this is a test, with, with the question, how many people like taking tests? Now, don't, don't raise your hand because this is really a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question doesn't, deserve, doesn't need an answer because you already know the answer. Nobody likes taking tests. I don't think anybody really likes taking tests. I remember when I was a, a kid, I think I was in third or fourth grade, and the, the girl in front of me was Virginia Gallup, pretty girl, and she got A's on all of her tests. I don't know what she... What, how she was able to do that. I mean, I'm sure she studied hard for it, but she, she studied, she got A's on all the tests, but I'm sure she didn't even like taking a test. You know, maybe you can relate to a dream that I often have. I'm having it less and less, but especially when I was going back to school. And the dream was, is that I was walking into a classroom 
one of my classrooms and there was a test and I didn't know there was a test. So I was completely unprepared, unprepared for the test. I have another dream that's similar to it where I'm walking to get to my class where I have to take a test and I can't find the room. I can't find the room. So this is this, you know, it's a nightmare. You know, it really is. Have you had that kind of dream? I mean, I mean, psychologists tell us, it's just interesting. Psychologists tell us that the three most common dreams that people have are actually kind of nightmares. The three most common psychology today reported this, that the top three dreams, according to Psychology Today, are number one, being chased. Being chased. This is when your feet start moving while you're sleeping. My dog does it all the time. My dog is sleeping and she'll start kind of barking in her sleep and moving her legs around. The second, the second most common is being naked or, or half-clothed. We're not going to go into that. This is church. We're not going to talk about that. And the third is failing a test. And I think mine falls into that idea. It's not so much failing a test. It's just taking a test. Taking a test that you're, you're unprepared for. You, or you forget you have a test. A, a dread comes over you because you know there's this test and you are completely unprepared. So I got to tell you a true story. It's about myself. And that was when I was in college. I was an undergrad and a business major. And uh, I was graduating. And quite frankly, I was unprepared for real life. Uh, so I decided to go to graduate school. I was a business major, and to tell the truth, I really went on to grad school because I, I was having fun in school. I just wasn't really ready for the real world. So when you go to graduate school, you have to take a test, not only the ACT and SAT getting into undergrad, but if you go on to graduate school, you have to take the MCAT, right? Peggy, you took the MCAT. Uh, my daughter took the MCAT. Um, GREs are often taken if you're getting going to get into a master's program. Uh, for business majors, you take what's called the GMAT, the Graduate Management Aptitude Test, GMAT. Very difficult test. Uh, a lot of people take it today. Back when I was going to school, there weren't that many MBA programs, so that meant there weren't a lot of people taking the test, but there was also fewer positions that were available. So it was a, a rigorous test. And one of the things that made the test so rigorous was there was a large portion that was dedicated to logical reasoning, being logical. You know, it wasn't enough to be able to comprehend and read or be able to write or be able to add some numbers and know a little bit about science. You had to be logical in your thinking. So I, I had to travel to the University of Illinois. It was a four-hour test. I remember it very well. And uh, I don't remember the test much, except I remember my faculty advisor, because he got the results before I did. And my faculty advisor called me in, and he says, Ken, the one thing that's obvious is that in your, as your undergraduate, the one thing that you learned was how to take a test. Because I blew the doors off of this test. I scored in the 99th percentile, meaning that I, I was in the top 1% of all the people that took the, the test. Now, I'm not that smart. I mean, he knew I wasn't that smart. My grades were pretty good, but there was no way that I would have been able to ace that test like that. Like my faculty advisor said, I just might have, must have known how to take the test because I, I did very well. Now, God used that because uh, I ended up getting a scholarship. I went to graduate school um, on their dime, not mine. My wife and I got married, and that started our, our journey. So, um, but let's get back to our, our topic today. This is a test. I think the reason people dread hearing those words, this is a test, because of two things. They're either unprepared or they think they're unprepared. They're either unprepared or they think they're unprepared. So as a result, they just dread taking the test. When you think about it, 
If you're fully prepared, if you know the subject matter well, if you could have written the textbook, there's no reason to be apprehensive about taking a test. But still, we, we seem to be a little bit apprehensive. So let's turn to our scripture today, and we'll go through this. We'll see how Jesus was prepared for the accusations of Satan. And, and actually, we're going to learn a little bit about ourselves and how well we, how we can do well on these tests as well. Uh, do we have a test? Do we have a pass-fail? Does God give us a pass-fail grade? Well, as we get started, I want to define a couple of words for you. One of the words is test, and the other word is tempt. Now, often we use these words as if they're interchangeable. They kind of mean the same thing. In fact, you'll see sometimes in just talking, you'll kind of use either word as if they're interchangeable. Well, they may be secular in the secular, but not when it comes to the believer. There's really two different things. When we think of temptation, temptation has to do with the concept of sin. Whether it's the devil or whether it's self-imposed or somebody else, it's, it's sin. Satan was trying to get Jesus to sin. If Jesus would sin, he wouldn't qualify to be the perfect lamb of God. If Satan could tempt him, and, and Jesus would sin. Testing is different, however. Uh, testing is used in many ways. Spiritually, we understand that God will sometimes, some, make that often, God will often test us. He'll test us. He'll try our faith and our obedience. Temptation to sin has been common throughout human history. Eve was tempted. Remember the book of Genesis. The Satan was in the, the serpent was in there and he tempted Eve. If we read through the Bible, we find that there were many times that the people of Israel were, were tempted, sometimes by their own kings. Good King Hezekiah gave, gave, had a son who was who was Manasseh, and he was a horrible king, an evil king. The Bible says that Manasseh um, uh, taught the people to do evil. Um, he tempted them. Another uh, translation says that he seduced them. He led them astray. And that's what temptation does. It seduces us to do something contrary to what God wants us to do. Now, God tests us, however. Primarily, God tests us in one way, which is to trust him. Trust him. For example, Jesus said this. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food or in the body more than clothing? And then he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? That's Matthew 6.26. You see, this is a, a daily test. And this is something particularly for our audience today. At the Windsor, you're being tested. Do you trust God? Did you know the Bible says that God knows the exact time of your departure from this earth? He's marked your days. There's nothing you can do to add to your life or subtract from it. God is the one that does it. Now, that doesn't mean you can go walk and play in the street. You can take your bike and decide to ride on, on I-4. But God knows the day. So we are not to worry. Bible, Jesus just said, you can't add anything to your stature. You can't extend your life by worrying. So don't worry about whatever it is that you're worrying. Okay? COVID's still around. Don't worry about that. God's got that. First of all, he gave you an amazing immune system. Trust God. This is a test. There's my, there's my we could go home now. I mean, we, we really could. We really could. But let's, let's go on. 
So, so when we take a look at our scriptures today, we're going to see that they follow three patterns, three patterns that we'll actually discover these patterns are common to, to all of us. The Apostle John writes of these very succinctly, and many pastors, including myself, will use these three patterns that John talks about to talk about the temptation that Jesus faced. John says, and John, 1 John chapter 2 says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's of the world. See, this is not a test that God gives us. This is a temptation that we ourselves embrace, and it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's take a look at our scripture today and take it one, one by one. The first one, first temptation concerns the lust of the flesh. Matthew writes, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now we read in the verse just prior to this that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, which means he wasn't consuming anything other than water. You've got to have water. After two or three days without water, you're, 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 you're toast. But you can go for a long time without eating. In fact, medically, what people tell you is that after the first couple days when you have a lot of hunger because your body wants the food, it's demanding that you have food. Have you ever gone on diet? I mean, you go on a diet and you cut your, con your consumption down from calories, your body says, uh-uh, <laughs> I, I demand that you give me all the calories I want. And I tell you, if you go on a diet and you're not, you don't have the, the wherewithal to be able to figure out a way to overcome that temptation, that test, you will eat more than you've ever ate before. Scholar te scholars tell us that medically, physically, without food, the body fights back. This is what hunger is. Within days, facing nothing to eat, the body begins feeding on itself. Now, depending on how much muscle and how much, how, much, uh, how much fat you have, you might be able to go longer than some other people because the, the body can feed on itself. But eventually, the body runs out of things to, fat, to feed on, and you get hungry again. This is the crisis that Jesus was facing. The body is demanding that he gets nourishment. The body, this was the condition Jesus was in when Satan decided to tempt him. The tempt, devil is tempting him at his weakest moment. The devil said, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, when you think about it, if the devil told me that, that would not be much of a temptation. I don't have the ability to change stones into bread. But Jesus did. You see, if Jesus didn't have the ability to, cho to turn the stones into bread, this would just be mocking Jesus instead of a temptation. But the, Jesus had the ability. This was why it was a true temptation. Jesus was at his most vulnerable position. He's hungry. He's actually starving. And this is when the tempter strikes. And that's a lesson for us also. It's when you're at your weakest that the tempt temptation will come to do that thing which you are most vulnerable Incredible lesson for us. Jesus is hungry, and the devil tempts and reminds him that he has the ability to convert stones into bread, the very nourishment that he needs. But this is what Jesus responds. He says, Jesus says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let me tell, take you back to what we were talking about before on tests. Why do people hate tests because they feel they're unprepared. Jesus, however, is prepared. He knew the word of God. And rather than using his own words or rationalizing with the devil, 
He responds with Scripture. You see, there's authority in the Word of God, and it's our primary weapon at our disposal. The book of Hebrews, for example, in chapter 4, says this. It says, the Word of God is living and active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's the discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's the Word of God. This is why we ask you to read your Our Daily Bread. This is why we use Scripture every single Sunday. This is why we ask you to read your Bible, because it's in the words of God that you have authority. You have no authority by referencing somebody else. Even if I tell you a good story, you have no authority telling a story that I told. Use the Word of God. Let's continue. The second temptation concerns the pride of life. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and sent him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You see, the second temptation is appealed to Jesus' divinity, his position. In essence, Satan is saying, You know who you are. The angels are your servants. Be the king that you say you are. Put on your robes. Show everybody how mighty you, travel, you truly are. You know, James, the apostle James, however, said that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Proverbs says pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before a fall. Humility is great honor. You know, so Jesus refuses to test his father. He refuses to test his father's faithfulness and his timeline. He trusts his father completely. He needs no such test. Jesus replies again with scripture to the contrary. And I love this verse. Jesus says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, you got to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is kind of saying, you know what, devil? You're right. You are right. And I am the creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity. I created everything you see. All of the stars and all of the skies, the very air that everybody breathes is because of me. I am the Lord, the God of the universe. And by the way, you are not to tempt the Lord, your God. So this third temptation given to us, and by the way, Jesus was tempted more often by the devil. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. So these three are given for examples, I think very, very good examples of how we often are tempted as well. But Jesus was tempted in every single way that you are as well. The difference is, is that unlike us, Jesus didn't sin. Jesus passed every single one of these tests. So the third temptation given has to do with the lust of the eyes. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. You know, often when we see something with our eyes, this lust of the eyes, when we see things, what do we want? We want it now, right? I mean, not only do we want it, but we want it now. How fast can I get it? You know, it's interesting. Uh, we think often that the younger generation, the younger generation, our kids, our grandkids and stuff like that, don't understand the idea of delayed gratification. 
They want everything now, right? But it isn't something new. Mark Twain actually wrote about it over 150 years ago. I mean, Mark Twain understood as well that the young people just don't understand what it means to wait until the time is right. They want everything now. You know, a young couple gets married. They immediately want the house and the car, actually a better car than their parents have, right? And they fail to realize that it took us like 15, 20 years to get to the position that we have the kind of things that they see with their eyes, but they, they want it now. It's a microwave generation. You know, pastor, pastors often point out with this passage that Jesus, uh, that, that Satan was actually offering something to Jesus that he could deliver. Satan could deliver the kingdoms of the world. Satan is the ruler of the world. That's what the Gospel of John says. And Paul, when writing to the Ephesians, calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. The apostle Paul, later in, first, in 2 Corinthians, calls Paul uh, calls uh, Satan the god of this world. You see, Satan had the ability to deliver the things that rightfully belongs to Jesus. He could deliver them all. Uh, but there's no shortcut. See, there was no shortcut for Jesus. That wasn't the plan of God. Jesus was first going to suffer and die to pay for the sin of mankind. Because that way, you and I are all grafted in with the people of Israel. As a result, we have hundreds of millions, if not billions of people that know Jesus Christ as Lord. There was a timeline. Jesus will return and be King of kings and Lord of lords. He will vanquish the enemy. He will overcome the Antichrist and Satan and all of his minions. But first, he needs to suffer and die and be the first fruit of many brethren. So Jesus replies to Satan and says this. He says, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now the key word in here is, is worship. Satan wanted to be worshipped. He had the kings of the world. That was his bargaining chip, but he demanded worship. You know, when we think of Satan, even in the Garden of Eden, how do you think of Satan? You think of Satan as like this little devil, right? This, this little snake, you know, coming and sticking out his tongue and, and tempting Eve. Well, actually, the Bible has something else to say about Satan, who used to be Lucifer. The prophet Ezekiel says this. He talks of, of Lucifer. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. The garden of God, every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emeralds, and gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and your pipes was prepared uh, for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub, the highest of all of the angels are the cherubs. The cherub who covers, I, will est I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. You see, this is what happened to Lucifer. That's who he was. Lucifer became Satan. The word Lucifer, by the way, means light bearer. The word Satan means deceiver in Hebrew. He went from the light bearer, the cherub, the anointed cherub who covers, to this deceiver, ruler of the world, ruler of the earth, but the deceiver of mankind.
Lucifer, however, desires to be worshipped so much that in the end of times, the last three and a half years of the tribulation, um, he, will, he will indwell, which is another name for possess. He will possess the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will demand to be worshipped. In 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sits himself sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. This is Lucifer. This is why Lucifer and Satan came to Jesus to accuse him and try to tempt Jesus so that Satan, Jesus would actually worship Satan. So let's wrap this up. This teaching today by going back to our sermon title again, one last time. This is only a test. And remember, we said earlier that the greatest test we ever have is in trusting God. A true test. It's a test that we need to pass every single day because God tells us to trust Him. Trust Him today. You can actually think of all of life as one big test. Uh, not a test from God that's either pass or fail. We've already passed the test because we are in Christ. But God wants us to be, move on to perfection. God loves us with an everlasting love. He's our Father, and actually Father knows best. He wants us to trust Him and learn from Him. Now, Satan tried to ruin God's plan when it came to the Messiah by tempting Jesus. In the same way, Satan and his minions, and by extension, our friends and neighbors, will tempt us to trust something other than the Word of God. God says, trust me. I, you know, I usually like to end my teachings always with a, with a scripture. And there's a scripture we've used before out of the New King James. But I decided to go to the Tree of Life version. You might not know the Tree of Life version. I don't know it very well. But it used the right words. The word trust. Paul says, do not let your heart, Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may also be. Jesus said, trust. Trust in God, trust also in me. This is a, this is a test we take. Whether you like it or not, we take it every day. We to trust in God. God says, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't fret. All of those things are not going to help. Trust instead in God. Be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. God is saying, trust me. Let your requests be made known. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.